Good afternoon, everyone. Happy New Year. <laughs> Though it's not January 1st, the first Sunday in Advent is the first day of the Christian calendar, so indeed it is a new year. Advent. Ad many of us have observed Advent in our church every year. I'm going to do this because I tend to do away. Have you ever stopped to think about what Advent means other than just four weeks building up to Christmas? Advent means arrival, and it signifies the start of an event or the arrival of a person. I'm going to share a little bit of history with you about Advent. Scholars believe that during the 4th and 5th centuries, Advent was a season of preparation for the baptism of new Christians at the January Feast of Epiphany, which is the celebration of God's incarnation represented by the visit of the Magi to the baby Jesus, his baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and his first miracle at Cana. During this season of preparation, Christians would spend 40 days in penance, prayer, and fasting to prepare. That kind of sounds like Lent, doesn't it? You'll notice that we use the color purple for both Advent and Lent, and that is no coincidence. Originally, there was little connection between Advent and Christmas. But by the 6th century, Roman Christians had tied Advent to the coming of Christ. But the coming they had in mind was not Christ's first coming in the manger of Bethlehem, but his second coming in the clouds as the judge of the world. The Advent season was not explicitly linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas until the Middle Ages. So where are we today? In some traditions, followers of Jesus devote the first two weeks of Advent to remembering Jesus' promise to return and renew heaven and earth. Then, during the last two weeks of Advent, these communities focus on the birth of Jesus. In other traditions, and this will sound familiar to you, people reflect on the concepts of hope, peace, love, and joy, one for each week leading up to Christmas. People may light Advent candles, like we did, prepare unique wreaths, as Amy did for us. Thank you, Amy. Hold special church services or read specific scriptures to reflect on the arrival of Jesus on earth. Today's message will cover both of these traditions, and regardless, Advent is a shared experience that celebrates the arrival of Jesus. It's a time to reflect on the unexpected nature of Jesus' humble birth and for us to join together in the anticipation of when he will come again to reunite heaven and earth once and for all. So here we are, excuse me, um, in week one. Today we lit the candle of hope, which is, as I mentioned, a traditional theme of the first Sunday, although we're here on a Saturday, in Advent. More specifically, the first candle represents the Israelites' hope that the promised Messiah would come. As we've done over the last couple of months, when we look at the original meaning of a Hebrew word, or a word in Hebrew, and in this case Greek too, we find a deeper meaning than we might typically think of with the English word, and that's true of hope. When we use the word hope in our everyday speaking today, we often use it as a term of wishful thinking. I hope the Ravens win next week. I hope I get the job, or Boy, I hope this preacher doesn't ramble on incessantly because we need to get to the Salem Bottom Boys concert. <laughs> However, wishful thinking is not biblical hope. Hope in the Bible means confidence, assurance, trust, and expectation, not a hint of wishful thinking or doubt. The Israelites had been waiting confidently, 
and expectantly for the Messiah for centuries. Hope represents the expectation felt in the anticipation of the, com the coming Messiah, not wishing the Messiah would come, but trusting and having confidence that he would. When Jesus was born, that hope was finally fulfilled. The hope candle is also sometimes called the prophecy candle. So we know the Israelites were expecting Jesus, but how did they know to expect him? Well, they knew because Jesus' arrival was foretold or prophesied. Some scholars, boy, there are a lot of scholars out there, believe that there are more than 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. These prophecies are specific enough that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is staggeringly improbable. So much so that somebody took a look at it. By looking at only eight specific prophecies, Peter Stone, uh, this is a guy probably 50s, 60s, um, who was the chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College, estimated that the probability that any one person would satisfy just those eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. So that is one followed by 17 zeros. So that's a minute possibility, but yet, Jesus did just that. And I have a couple of examples to show you or, or to share with you about prophecies that had happened and were then fulfilled. So the first prophecy about Jesus was he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, in part, as for you, Bethlehem, one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And of course, we know this to be true about Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. So prophecy fulfilled. Second prophecy to share, he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Luke chapter 135 and some other scripture that Beth read says the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus was born of a virgin, prophecy fulfilled. There is even a prophecy that Jesus would die. Isaiah 53, 8 says, he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people. We are well familiar with Christ's death on the cross, and we can find the details when we look in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 56. These three prophecies were about the incarnation of Christ, which really means when God took human form in the body of Christ and the birth that we celebrate at Christmas. But wait, there's more. Dr. David Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes that people are often surprised to learn that references to the second coming of Jesus outnumber references to the first coming by a factor of eight to one. I found that pretty impressive because I would not have thought that. If during Advent we remember the hope of Jesus' first coming, then we certainly should also hope in, that is, anticipate and expect his second coming. I feel like we don't often focus on Jesus coming again, despite just learning how many times the Bible refers to it. So I'm going to spend some time on it today. And I want to start with something really simple. Most of us can recite the Apostles' Creed by heart. So you know that we believe, and I'm going to quote here, sitteth, that Jesus sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Notice the words there. He shall come. That's in the future. What about Revelation chapter 1, verses eight, verse 8? 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Therefore, he is coming again. There's a lot of theology out there about Jesus' second coming in the last days. Scholars call this eschatology, and Dan can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm right there, at least my research. Yes, he says I'm right. So things like, is Jesus going to rapture his church so that every true Christian will escape the tribulation? This is what pre-tribulationists believe. Does the rapture occur sometime during, during the tribulation? So believe the mid-tribulationists. Finally, do Christians meet Jesus at the end of the tribulation to establish his kingdom on earth? And remember, we know that he will come and reign for a thousand years. This is what post-tribulationists believe. It's a lot of big words, and this is some heady stuff. It's probably worthy of study, but guess what? We're not going to do that today. <laughs> I'm going to keep it simple. And this is kind of a joke, but a former pastor of mine used to say that he was a pan-tribulationist. It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> that said, there are important things I want to highlight today. Jesus will come back, and there is a judgment. Make no mistake, Jesus will return to make things right and righteous. John chapter 5, 26 through 29 says this, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave life to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and to those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. This has been known since the time of Genesis. And while the prophecy is actually not recorded in Genesis, Jude chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 tells us that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, so a long time ago, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The bottom line, regardless of which theology to which you might subscribe, is that ultimately Jesus will establish a new heaven and a new earth, as described in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, restoring all that Adam and Eve had lost for all of mankind in the fall. All right, you might be thinking, Leanne, when is he coming? Well, we don't know. In Matthew, we learn that not even the angels have of heaven, nor the Son knows, only the Father. We can read that it is soon or at hand, yet 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 8 says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So even though we don't know the day or time, and soon could really mean tomorrow or maybe a thousand years from now, we need to be ready. I have a little analogy about being ready. About five or six years ago, I installed an app on my phone called Life360. This app allowed me and my girls to know where we each were all the time. It saved many phone calls from our daughter Diana at the end of field hockey practice to ask, when are you going to get here? When Diana and Catherine were able to drive, it allowed me to be assured that they made it to where they were going, and I could tell exactly when they were going to be home. I could turn on the outside light a few minutes before they arrived and have their dinner warm and ready when they walked in the door. 
because I could see exactly where they were and when they would arrive. I could afford not to pay too close of attention the whole time, just when I knew for sure that they were close. Diana has continued to rely on Life360, even though she's at college, to know where I am <laughs> and know when to call me, say, when I leave my work building and she can see that I'm driving home and no longer working. And those of you who've heard me talk about my daughter, Catherine, exact opposite of Catherine. She had Life360 off of her phone within an hour after she moved into her dorm at college. No longer <laughs> could I know exactly where she was or when she would arrive home. Now when she comes home, she might call or text and say, I'm leaving Towson soon. Well, I know that she, that means she's coming soon, but exactly so how soon or when, I don't know. She could dally at the dorm before leaving. She could hit traffic. She could stop at a store, or she might breeze right on home. How do I prepare for that when I don't know and I can't see it on my phone? Well, I pretty much turn the outside light on when she tells me she's on her way, just to make sure it's lit when she arrives. If there is a dinner that I'm going to feed her, I do all I can to have as much of it as ready as possible so that I can quickly serve it no matter the exact moment she walks through the door. And I'm on the lookout. I anxiously watch car lights coming down the hill. And if you've ever been to my house, we kind of sit on a hill, but there's another hill, all the lights coming down. So I wonder as I see car lights coming down that hill, is it her? I hope it's her when she comes. And so it is with, the Je with Jesus coming back. Are you ready and waiting? I point you to John the baptizer who tells the people to get ready and that help is on the way. The people respond. They're repenting, confessing, being cleansed in baptismal waters. When Jesus arrives, they want to be ready to live into the hope that he has given them. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to respond the same way today. And one more thing, since perhaps some of this might be making you anxious or uncomfortable. After all, I'm talking a lot about judgment here. The Bible tells us many times, do not be afraid. In no way, shape, or form is fear found in the meaning of hope. The return of Jesus, even his judgment, is good news for Christians who will live forever in the presence of God. The return of Christ gives hope to Christians. There's a, actually a song, I don't know how many people listen to Contemporary Christian, but there's a song by Jordan Feliz called Jesus is Coming Back. And the words of the chorus are these. So, keep your head up, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. No, don't you give up, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And when the world gets complicated, we're going to keep on celebrating because we know Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. Did you catch that? Keep your head up. Celebrate. As Christians, we can do that because we have hope, the confident, expectant assurance that what God has promised he will deliver. Earlier this year, Pastor Greg Laurie, some of you may remember him from the Jesus movie, that Jesus Revolution movie that came out. He's a real person out in California, and he said in this past summer to his congregation, we can in look in retrospect at prophecies that were once in the future but are now in the past and realize that God predicted those things with 100% accuracy. Therefore, we can be safe in concluding that he will fulfill the other prophecies that are yet in our future. Do you want this future? Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13 say, For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. 
for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is an invitation for everyone. It's up to us or to you to respond. Call on him today. As we enter the season of Advent, let us indeed focus on the hope of Jesus, the confident expectation that he was sent to save us, offer us the glory of eternal life, and the day will come when he will wipe every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will pass away. And oddly, I was looking for a sympathy card this week, and I found this card, um, and it says, and I'm going to end with this, hope is the beautiful place between the way things are and the way things are yet to be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just as you sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, help us to clear the paths in our hearts too. Show us the distractions in our lives that block us from all-out worship of you this Advent. Lord, we await your coming. As we celebrate the first coming, we look toward the day where we shall see you face to face. We imagine what it will be like. Give us a heart, Lord, that looks for your coming on a daily basis. Help us to live our lives where we're constantly seeking your presence. Our offering to you today is our righteous life, for we know we are only clean because of Jesus. Show us today how we need to be refined, purified, forgiven. Give us the strength to ask for forgiveness and then to change our ways. In Jesus' name we pray. All right.